0: Welcome to the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast, where we believe that healthy cash flow is critical for your IT business, automation is paramount, and building trust with your clients by looking professional will help grow your business. I'm your host, Ryan Goodman, and today you'll learn about some profound struggles related to owning and growing an IT business and how Chad Lauterbach from b Structured Technology Group overcame them.
1: Why would I make money for someone else when I can make money for myself? and sharp my own destiny rather than be on somebody else's sailboat.
0: Here's the podcast with Chad. All right. Well, Chad, thank you for jumping on today's podcast. Excited to uh, learn a little bit more about you, about your business, and some of the successes and, and struggles that you had, and and allow us to share that with the greater community.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me.
0: You bet. To kick things off, I gave up your first name. I'll uh, I'll have you state your first and last name as well as your company name.
1: Sure. Yeah, it's Chad Lauderbach from B Structured Technology Group out here in Los Angeles, California.
0: Well, you're warmer than us in tropical Fargo, North Dakota. That's for sure this time of year.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not to speak of the weather for too much, but it's been crazy this week. It's uh, record-breaking heat out here. So by some by multiple digits. So. No winter here, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. So to kick things off in our interview here, I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about your business and some of the passion behind starting it.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll start with the passion, actually, because I think the the root of where people come from and um, you know how they started their business is always an interesting story. So uh, I've always been interested in technology and how things work. Um, I was the kid that was picking apart like the Discman and the radio and like taping stuff from the radio on the cassette tapes and using the camcorder. And my parents gave me like an old Yashica camera. So I was like, I was always like into figuring out how anything that had technology in it worked And um, we, I was really lucky in that my, um, my parents had computers around at a very young age. I was, I was born in 1980 Uh, So it was kind of uh, pre-personal computer era, you know, late 80s, early 90s is when most people kind of started to have computers in the home. But uh, my dad had a computer like in 84 or five, I think he had this like giant computer. And then we had a a Commodore PET computer at home. (laughs) And then so I got to like learn to program in basic on that thing when I was like six, And then we we had the original Mac Classic and we had an IBM XT. So I actually got exposed to both platforms at their very, very earliest stage. Uh, And then we had a a very first generation Windows 2.0 and then a Windows 3.0 computer. Uh, So, you know, I feel like it was unusual that my family had those around. They were mostly around for my dad's work, so they weren't play toys per se, but he let me use them. And so I got a lot of exposure to uh, the personal computing age at a really young age, which was great. And I was always really excited and passionate about it. I ended up, you know, doing the things that kids do, building my own systems, gaming, all that kind of stuff as I as I got older and just always had a passion for technology. Um, and then I got I got really lucky again in that I got to turn that passion into a career really young. So between. Uh, junior high and high school. One of my dad's friends uh, was a part owner and president of a life insurance company. So he gave me a summer job in their IT department working on an AS 400. And then my after-school job, when most people were scooping, most of my peers were scooping ice cream in high school, uh, I worked doing junior admin work, uh, you know, basically help desk and junior admin, like installs and stuff at Mayo Clinic in Scottsville, Arizona. So Again, just like total luck, because I had some computer skills from a young age, I was able to kind of jump in and actually get paid to do some work at a really young age, doing IT stuff. Um, when I was 20, I got my first full-time gig and worked uh, for other people for about five years uh, in various capacities at a transportation company and a healthcare company, building IT departments from the ground up. From them, so literally going from nothing to 100 and or 200 employee companies and full server build outs and all that kind of stuff. Wow. uh, So yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of crazy again. Like I, I feel like just really lucky with the opportunities that landed on my plate at a young age. So, um, you know, having had that experience, I realized, Oh, I have a knack for not just doing the work, but actually being able to understand business and being able to, Take something from like a design and architecture phase all the way down to a build phase, which I still to this day view is one of my kind of like strengths is being able to see something strategically and design and architect it. But I still, even to this day, can turn the screwdriver. So I know how to configure a switch on the command line. I know how to work on the operating system. So and I, I like that I know those things because when I walk in and talk to, a, talk to a client and consult them, I know I'm not shooting... You know, crap out there. I know that what I'm designing or telling them, I know can be done all the way down to the configuration level, which I think you don't always find in IP service company owners. So yeah, I started to be structured in 2007 officially. I incorporated it. I'd been doing it essentially for a year or two before that, and then I've grown it to where it's at today—about 15 employees and um, you know, 50 or so customers and went from you know doing kind of the break fix model thirteen years ago to being a managed i t service provider that we are today so
0: it's an awesome story in fact, um as I was listening to you and in, in the path, not only was it i wouldn't say complete product environment but you know it was like a saturation it was all around you but I don't think there was another option for you actually <laughs> <way that> <laughs> afford, which is which is a beautiful thing, and obviously um you're very successful in that as well, and it sounded like you had some great mentors you know not only family but also family friends were able to get inside of the the business aspect of it at a young age and now here you are you know in in the position you're in as an entrepreneur owning owning your own business which is which is awesome living living the dream
1: yeah and I, i i would add to that too just in the in the luck column, my dad is not an entrepreneur. He worked in big companies his whole life, but, uh, my, uh, a few of my dad's friends and my uncle are entrepreneurs. And so I learned a lot from them about owning businesses and how businesses operate and function. And, uh, my uncle is still a mentor of mine. Uh, he's an investor in a different company that I have. And so, um, you know, he's somebody I still talk to and rely on for that, for that business level advice too. So yeah, beyond just the technology that I got to mess around with, I did have mentors in the business space as well, which was, which was cool. And yeah, on the technology front, like I, um, I, th- I feel like most people that are successful in technology are a bit autodidactic and, you know, I feel the same way. I was, my, my mom always jokes, uh, you know, I was teaching my, I, I was staying after school in elementary school. Offering to help my teachers with their computers, and I would charge them. So I'd be like, Hey, I'll stay after school and help you with your computer for 20 bucks or whatever. And they'd be like, Oh, okay, great. And they would pay me. And my mom was like, Is that appropriate? And I'm like, I don't know. They give me money and I help them with their stuff. So
0: you're like, It it is definitely appropriate. Trust me. (laughs) Exactly. I'm buying the things you don't want to (laughs) buy. (laughs) That's right. I'd love to learn. As we've talked about the story, growing up around um, i t technology, you know being the guy to um, take things apart, figure out how it works, and still being very um knowledgeable of that, and now growing a team, why don't we talk a little bit more about some of the wins that you celebrated in being the owner of a technology business? so we talked about you know employee count, where you're at with um customers, what are some of those wins along the way that you can? clearly call out and say this was a a defining moment inside of my business
1: yeah yeah you know I struggled the first few years um to figure out how to get the business off the ground on its legs so I was doing break fix and then I was starting to do some retainer contracts kind of stuff and um I just didn't I was struggling to find the business model because I was like, well, I know I need to hire another full time person. But especially when you're real small, when you're a one person company, adding a second person is doubling your staff. And, you know, it probably is not quite a doubling in payroll, to be quite frank. So, you know, it's a huge undertaking, that first person you hire. So, yeah, I struggled with it a lot in the beginning. And that's where managed services really came into play is that's when I was able to hire my first full-time person. I I learned, I, I honestly, I wish I could tell you, I do not remember where exactly I heard of the managed services concept or learned about it. And of course, there were a lot of failures along the way. I bought junky PSAs and RMMs at first trying to understand what I was doing uh, until we landed on some good solutions. But just getting into that model where I was selling people a a flat fee service um, and an outcome rather than selling hours was a total game changer because it allowed me to feel confident hiring somebody else because I knew when my revenue hit X, I was able to do that. So that gave me the confidence to grow my business and still to this day does. You know, I look at the books and I know product sales. Or service, you know, uh, one-time service sales or setup fees or anything like that. That's all great, but that's got to be icing on the cake. Our managed services and our other types of services sales have to cover our regular expenses, including payroll. And if they don't, I'm not going to feel comfortable hiring somebody. So, you know, that's that's still a gauge I use today, and has been. That's been probably the biggest win in starting this whole journey.
0: Yeah, that's a great win, and it's a great feeling to have monthly recurring um, covering the base so to speak right and then anything else is additive and you can monitor growth and regulate growth based on that that single or at least that being one of the key metrics inside of the business
1: absolutely definitely
0: and not everybody's to that point yet right so your proof that this is a goal that's completely attainable as long as you have enough drive focus and and attention to to the details in the day-to-day Yeah,
1: yeah, it definitely is. I've talked to, you know, guys that are trying to get started in the IT services space. And they're oftentimes they are talking about how do you hire your first person? And, you know, how did you get where you are today? And And I always tell them, like, having some sort of recurring service model is is critical to being able to do it. Um, It's not impossible, I suppose, to have an hourly service model. But I think especially in today's environment, it's going to be really challenging. You know, more of the firms these days that are going to be the better paying firms, your financial services, industry companies, banks, um, auto dealers. Accounting firms, anything, anything, legal firms, anything that's in that professional services territory—they're expecting to pay a managed service provider a fixed fee. So if you're going in there with hourly, I think people are going to look at you funny. So yeah, you might be able to pick up Joe's auto shop um, down on the corner or the convenience store or whatever, but I think you're going to struggle to stay alive with that type of business these days. I think, I think, media—you know—larger small businesses or professional service companies, I think, are expecting to have a managed service provider. And we find a lot of people in sales these days. Uh, You know, it's interesting. I've been noticing a big change up until just a couple of years ago. We would often be be at times the first managed service provider in the company, right? So they had a break-fix company before of some type or maybe a retainer contract or a block-hour contract. We were the first MSP in there. I'd say more than 50% of my current leads or sales are actually changing from existing MSPs to us. And that's been a shift I've noticed just in the last few years is people are getting so comfortable and confident in the MSP space. They're actively looking for other MSPs if they're not happy with their current one. So that's been a big shift I've noticed.
0: That's really interesting. As you spun up the business, we had talked that you were building or working as an entrepreneur prior to 2007, um, you define 2007 as you know the official start date. What was it like moving into that role in that transition period prior to 2007? Um, were you working full-time somewhere else and doing your practice on the side? And at that point of leaving that, that nine-to-five restructure and becoming self-employed, what was that like for you taking that step?
1: Yeah, I'll take a quick step back to high school before I jump into my adult life. Um, I had started two smaller companies when I was in high school. One was a computer building company, which, you know, actually built like a system builder. Sure. Which, of course, back then was popular. And that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about the tech and I really enjoyed it at the time. Um, but you know, the margins were real slim, you know, even back then you had e-machines and just cheap computers on the market. And, um, it was hard to make money. It was hard to differentiate yourself because even when you tried to differentiate yourself on the high end, uh, you still had the players like IBM and Dell and gateway back then out there that were making high end systems. So it was, it was tricky to differentiate. And I also created a web design company, but I sucked at design and I wasn't a very good coder. And I didn't really spend the time to learn code. If I had one big regret when it comes to my time and work in the IT space, it would be I didn't spend more time learning to program. So I learned basic programming concepts and I spent some time doing it and I can read some code, but I'm by no means a developer. And I wish I would have spent more time and energy learning to develop. But that being said, both of those businesses are long, long, long defunct now. And um, I went and worked for other people uh, for four years only. So I worked at a transportation company and a healthcare company roughly two years each, Uh, again, building those departments from the ground up. And I always wanted to get back to working for myself. I really liked that. And again, I feel so lucky. Like, I I feel like I just keep saying I'm lucky all the time. But uh, I had great bosses. Great mentors, great people that I got to work with. Uh, I did not have bad experiences working for other people, but I still had the entrepreneurial bug. Like I wanted to get back out there and try to do my own thing. So I always was, you know, moonlighting, working on clients after hours in the evenings, weekends, et cetera. So I already had some clients in my client roster, if you will. So when I decided to make the jump, (laughs) I went to one lead I had in Los Angeles and I went to my current employer, the healthcare company and said, Hey, will you guys both sign up with me? My health, the healthcare provider said yes. So they became a client instead of hiring me as an employee. And the other company said yes. So I was able to make the jump and take a very small pay cut when doing it. So I was able to kind of architect that in a way that was fairly easy. I think a lot of people have to do something a little more drastic. I think people's, I think generally people would have to do something more drastic. And that's, I think, still a reasonable choice if you have the skill set and desire to do it. But I I was able to do it without a whole lot of pain. So
0: it's a really cool story. And it's really neat to hear, you know, as we interview a broad spectrum of service providers and, and, you know, partners and just what what brought them to that point. And it's fun to hear the big differences. And I don't think there's a, a right or wrong way. It's it's always interesting to hear how someone ended up exactly where they are. So appreciate the insight and the explanation around it as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've always been like a bit of that, like, like I love the movie Good Will Hunting and I've always been... Like in school, I didn't go to college. And one of the reasons was, for example, one of the funny things I always tell people is like, I I couldn't fathom paying people to give me work when (laughs) I could get paid to do work. So college didn't make any sense to me. And so likewise, after having worked for people for a few years, I was like, these people aren't any more special than me. You know, they're great people. I don't know, nothing against my former bosses, but I can do this too. Why would I make money for someone else when I can make money for myself and sharp my own destiny rather than be on somebody else's sailboat? So I've always had that mentality toward life. And a lot of people don't have that. And I know a lot of people that want to show up to a nine to five and their passions lie elsewhere outside of their work. And their work just enables them to live those passions. And that's awesome. For me, those have always been tied together. So I, I like... Being able to chart my own course in business uh, and in life in parallel at the same time.
0: Well, it's the true definition of an entrepreneur. You know, you're you're sitting in exactly the seat you were designed for. And I think that's really clear. (laughs) Thank you. We'd like to take a quick break to highlight our sponsors and some of the things they'd like to offer our listeners. Do you want to generate more leads and learn how you can grow your business using a proven strategy? Ever wondered how you can leverage digital marketing to accomplish this while taking your advertising to the next level? Then consider having a conversation with Josh Whitford of 5stepmarketing.com. Josh is an expert at helping small businesses grow using innovative tactics that have worked for large brands such as giftcards.com, mycoupons.com, navyseals.com, and many more. Right now, Josh is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you to learn about your market and collaboratively develop an online marketing strategy based on your target audience. The strategy session is free and you have the flexibility to either implement the strategy yourself or have Josh implement it for you. This is a turnkey solution. This is only for our podcast listeners, so check out Josh and his offering at 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. That's the number 5stepmarketing.com slash audit. Our second sponsor for today's show is Bevoip. Bevoip is the perfect channel-only offering for your IT firm and MSP business. Be Voip works with businesses around the globe to incorporate cloud communications into your big picture telecom strategy. Their program is built for MSPs, IT firms, and cloud service providers, and BeVoIP happens to be the VoIP provider for your friends here at Connect Booster and Connect Booster's parent company BNG. So check them out on the web at bvoip.com. And now back to the show. So as you, as you made that transition from break, fix and project work as your primary source of revenue and then moved over to the managed services uh, business model, you know what's it been like for you and was it a hard transition or do you feel like it was a really smooth transition in operation once, once you landed here?
1: It was a very hard transition for me. Um, I'm not a natural salesperson, so that's that's one of the weaker areas for me. I've learned to be better at it, uh, but I don't think I'll ever be a killer sales guy. That's just not, uh, you know. I always believe that people people can excel the most when they work out their best muscles. So somebody that's a naturally good basketball player is going to become an amazing one if they work hard at it. I can become a better salesperson, but because that's not a natural fit for me, I'm never going to become a rock star (laughs) salesperson. So the, the sales part of it was really challenging for me to figure out the sales pitch and why this was a value. I have a sales pitch now that I think works fairly well and I think is honest, but I, uh, that was a hard part for me. And then besides the sales part, finding the right tools, was really a challenge. And that might be because we weren't we weren't cutting edge, but we were early-ish to the managed services game. So Kaseya was one of the only players in town on the RMM side, and it's still a good product. We still use it for some things, but the, the monitoring component didn't work that great. The backup component was really bad. There weren't a lot of great managed service provider backup solutions at the time. There weren't a lot of great managed AVAM solutions at the time. Uh, There was ConnectWise, which uh, no offense to ConnectWise users, but I didn't love. And there wasn't really other good options. (laughs) We chose a product that's now defunct, and um, we eventually moved to Autotask. But I think we've been through like four backup solutions, two RMMs, two, two or three PSAs, um, so there was a lot of fine tuning on the the actual services we wanted to deliver and the way we wanted to deliver them. Uh, and I feel good about the solution we have now, but it took a lot of time. So I, I'd say it was more painful than easy. Sure. Uh, fortunately.
0: And I think, you know, as you're evaluating those tool sets and, you know, it looks like you had looked at a lot of things and automation, of course inside of the model is is critical to the success of the business and you had also mentioned a little bit earlier that managed services as a, as a concept there wasn't necessarily a definitive point where you said okay here's the model I get it it was spelled out clear what about the the process of realizing that model existed and and how did you go about finding the tools to help you automate your business, it, you know, cause it sounds like a fluid progression, but I'm guessing there were some, you know, different points in time where you had something presented to you or you were at a conference and, you know, you saw some of these different PSA tool sets or monitoring tool sets. And, and, um, what were some of those points inside of the business where you realized that automation and moving to that MSP model was critical to your business success. Yeah, I I wish I could
1: speak to when I learned of the model and started to do research on it. I I just can't recall the exact point when it came, you know, when that came up. But when I started looking at and for tools, the best investment I made was buying Kaseya. There weren't a lot of tools on the market at the time. I think Enable was out there there weren't that many tools at the time. It's kind of amazing how many there are now, you know, now I could go talk to a newbie that wanted to get started on, uh, in the MSP space and be like, okay, here's like the only three PSAs to look at. And Mm -hmm. here's like five great RMMs to look at go. (laughs) And they're all, they're all pretty good. (laughs) So pick the one you like. And, uh, back then, you know, it it just wasn't quite like that. And, uh, so like I said, we made some definite mistakes on the ticketing and PSA systems, but I think we got lucky in choosing Kaseya. I think it was, a, and it, we, we obviously looked at other products carefully, so it wasn't an uneducated decision, but choosing Kaseya and moving forward with them was definitely a first really good step. And it was a scary one because before I could have any managed services revenue, I had to buy a remote management and monitoring product. So I had something to sell. So uh, that was that was a big uh, that was a bigger risk for me than starting the company. <laughs> so right. the biggest risk I took back then was buying. And, and you know now you have all these subscription model stuff, right? So you can go to AutoTask and get a whole package PSA RMM everything for a relatively low monthly fee. And if you fail, you just go bankrupt and you say sorry, guys. But you know, for me, I already had a. Some, you know, a, in a business that, that was established for a few years, I had some revenue and customers, and that was my livelihood at the time. And it was like, Kaseya was like, hey, so yeah, for 35000 bucks or whatever the number was, we you can buy Kaseya. And I was like, oh, man, that right. is, that's intense. Uh, and they didn't have a friendly, you know, monthly service offering. And so that was a big risk, and it ended up being the right risk, you know. And, and actually, in some ways, I think it... There's a small benefit to that that I think is lost in today's world with everything being subscription services. When you plunk down a big chunk of change, you commit to something. And so I was really passionately committed to making it work. And, you know, I think we do this in our regular lives when we buy a car or, you know, buy a house or anytime we make a big investment, right? You know, we we think about it, buy maybe a stock or something. You know, we were cognizant of of that being a big investment, and we're we're stuck with it for some period of time. Whereas when you sign up for Direct TV, you kind of throw it away tomorrow if the cable company comes with a better offer or what. You know, when all these monthly services, you have like no commitment to them. You just don't care. So you know, you can sign up for X service for um, not you know Y dollars per month and. Cancel the next month, so you know. I think I think I could have gotten squeamish if I had signed up for Kaseya for five hundred dollars a month, and four months in, not had a sale, would have been like, oh, let's cancel it. <laughs> so you know, having plunked that change on I'm like, I gotta make this work. So it I was kept really committed. committed to it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you know, you talk about taking that risk, and and a, and you're right. People making those decisions today, it's not such a either game time or go home decision anymore. So what was the point where you felt like, okay, I see momentum from making this decision. And, you know, how did you feel inside of the business? Was that a huge boost in confidence to continue to step forward and look at other tools at that point?
1: Yeah. I mean, it started with, I went to my existing time and materials or retainer clients and sold them on managed services. And now i'd have to like i probably have records of it but i'd have to look and see i I bet more than half for sure i bet close to 75 percent of my clients converted and so that was really exciting i was like okay other people agree and see this model as a functional model so that was really exciting and even my clients that were like a little bit skeptical of it they were like you know i'm not totally sure but I trust you, Chad, and I think you're going to make this work. so I was glad that I had that much clout with some of my clients that they were like we'll we'll give it a shot with you and know, see how it goes and Some of those clients are still with me to this day, so uh, I think it's proved that that the model can function really well over a long period of time uh, but certainly one of the, probably the most exciting thing was those first couple brand new clients I landed that had never been clients before um, and signed up for managed services deals so that was really exciting i will say something that i could teach a a newer nsp person that i wish i had taught myself that i've only learned honestly in the last few years is i oftentimes short sold myself because you do get um when you're selling managed services the sales cycle is long and you do get objections it's not a slam dunk sale. You know, if you go in and they're like, Hey, I'm going to charge you 150 bucks to fix your computers. Call me when you want. Here's my card. Everybody's going to take that. (laughs) So, I mean, even if they don't call you, they're going to take your card and be like, Oh, okay, we'll keep you in mind. Great. Thanks. And, you know, um, you know, or if you just had a, if you, if you did short sell yourself and you were like, yeah, I'll manage all your it for $40 a user a month. And you just lose your shorts on the deal. well, Everybody's going to take you up on that, too, because you you're selling way under market and you're losing money. Um, So it was hard for me to sell it, to force myself to sell at the right place and let deals pass if they weren't good um, or not to revert back. You know, for a number of years, I kept reverting back when a client was like, I don't want managed services. I'd let them do TNM or I'd let them do a retainer. And it took me a long time to just say, that's all we do. We don't do anything but managed services anymore. We won't sell you anything. And I've had some really lucrative projects come up. People come to me and say, "Hey, I have an eighty thousand dollar build out project." I'm like, "Man, we could make thirty percent margin on that, or whatever." And I just got to be like, "You know what? That twenty four grand in net and gross profit is not worth the disruption to my team and distraction from my primary business goal, which is managed services." And it's only been in the last few years I've gotten to that point where I have that level of competence to say, "No, thank you."
0: That's a big. Uh, that's a big turning point in a business as an entrepreneur saying no to money to follow a proven model and continue down that path
1: yeah yeah and i've seen i've seen a couple um the the msp space one of the things i really like about it is it's real friendly uh you, you know you think a lot of business a lot of business spaces are real competitive or cutthroat but i know a lot of my competitors i know the owners and um you know one of the guys i'm thinking of right now won't mention his name or his company name but uh He's, he's roughly my age and he's grown faster than me. And I actually attribute his more successful growth almost directly to him saying no to everything. That's not high margin managed services. Like he learned that lesson earlier than me and he was able to grow faster than me, I think, because of his commitment to that. You know, I remember having a conversation with him quite a few years ago about it. And he's like, I won't do anything but that. So.
0: Yeah. Now you led me perfectly into my next question, um, which was if you could talk to your younger self after seeing mm-hmm. what you've accomplished today, um, you know what would you say? What wisdom would you impart to your younger self? And I think uh, you talked a lot about that. With you, oftentimes, sold yourself short early on. Is there is there anything else that you would tell your younger <laughs> self?
1: If I was telling my much younger self. Uh, being really, really honest, I'd probably say learn to be an expert coder. Um, I think I had it in me. I think I still have it in me if I ever had the time, um, although it's harder to teach older dogs new tricks. <laughs> um, you know, the nice thing about managed services is it scales, right? That's the problem with PNM work is it's very, very, very hard to scale. Um, it's not impossible. I mean, of course, there's PNM shops that have scaled, but very tricky. But, you know, nothing scales better than software or digital assets. So, you know, if I could have created a tool for the managed services space, I already knew I, I already knew I.T. and computer systems. If I could have created a tool for I.T. people, you know, that would have been a totally different way to scale my knowledge and create a business. But I know that's not specifically what you're asking. If, I, if you were to if you were to, if I was to talk to my younger self that was already committed to I.T. service and managed services. Um, or the person, I guess, committed to IT services but not sure about managed services, I would say figure out a way to get more confident faster. I think that's one of the things that, and maybe this is unique to me because I started so young. Um, you know, I it's hard for me at 24 years old to walk in a room of older men and women that are on the executive team of some company and tell them how amazing my company's IT services are. I felt that, you know, I felt that kind of weight of, these experienced people and me being less experienced and I kind of lack the confidence that took a while to build. I think there's probably, I, I think now I know that there's ways to learn to build that. Like I could have joined the chamber of commerce. I could have taken public speaking classes. I could have taken debate classes. I could have done things to gain confidence that don't require getting the experience in boardrooms. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I, looking back, that would have been a critical skill I would have learned. That's a soft skill. And I think the other skill that I would have learned would have been um, committing to making money. I think because I I tend to be a generous guy, like I like to give to nonprofit organizations. I like both my time and money. I like to be generous with my employees. I like giving gifts to people, friends and family. And that's great. (laughs) But later in life, I realized what allows me to be generous is by doing good business and making money. And uh, it's not bad to make money. And I know that might sound silly, but I I gave too much away in short selling myself again. This goes kind of back to the early conversation that I just gave too much away. I sold too cheap. I didn't stick to my guns. I didn't sell the high margin managed services I needed to sell. And what I realized now too, is it wasn't only me doing a disservice to myself. I did a disservice to our customers and our employees, which sounds strange, because you'd be like, well, your customers got a better deal because they paid less. That's not actually true, and this is part of why I've been able to gain confidence in selling higher, higher-margin managed higher services. Is when you sell lower-margin services, you stress your team more, you, you stretch them thinner, you stretch your systems thinner, mm-hmm. and you don't provide the same outcomes and the same quality those people are expecting for the price. Right. So, you know, you're you're selling. You're selling that level of managed services, whatever that level is for you, no matter what you're charging. So the key, the key is charging enough to deliver it. And with managed services, you can't provide great service to your customers or treat your employees well so that they provide great service to your customers if everybody's stressed and running around like chickens with their heads cut off all the time. It has to, you have to have space to do managed services, which means you have to be charging enough to have people in their seats thinking and doing things proactively. So yeah, you you can't run on the edge. You can't run on razor and margins if you want to provide great quality service. And so you got to make money. You got to charge enough to have margins and you got to make money.
0: I think that's great advice and you're you're right. There's not going to be a phone number or an email active to contact if <laughs> if money's not being made inside of the business and I think um you know, wise business owners understand that, but it doesn't mean that you don't still have to sell through that in a competitive market.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, and, and you really nailed again on the last question I have is, as we wrap up here, I feel like you gave a great point and I'll let you answer this one, but what's the number one pointer message that you would drive home to any of your peers listening to this podcast. And, and I think it's going to be tough because I think you hit some really several just key issues and very key business points inside of the conversation. But I'll leave you with that. Um, what's the number one pointer message that you would drive home to any of your peers?
1: Um.
0: So, I would actually
1: give a peer of mine two tips, um, especially somebody younger in the business or you know getting started in the business or interested in getting started in the business and these could probably be applied to multiple industries because they are high level, but I, I think they especially apply to ours. The first one is a strategic one and it's a big picture one, but you need to be able to do it to run any business. And that is know your strengths and don't just rest on them, but develop them and know your weaknesses and don't try to push through them. Hire amazing people to do those things for you and do them well. That would be like my biggest big picture thing for any entrepreneur in any industry, really, but especially in ours, if you're a great salesperson, for example, go sell managed services, get your sales pitch together and go ring up a zillion dollars of business. But you will have tons of mad customers and tons of terrible reviews online if you don't deliver the services. If you aren't an amazing service delivery person, You need to hire an amazing CPO, and don't skimp on their salary. Figure out a way to make it work from the beginning. Hire the right person to start and build on them. If you need to give them equity, if that's your thing, give them equity. If you need to build some sort of long-term vesting schedule or whatever, like do what you have to do to get the people underneath you committed to helping you build the company and just find those really, really good people that want to partner with you to do that on with your weaknesses and then develop your strengths. Don't just say like, I'm a great sales guy. I can bring up as much business as I want. Actively work to develop that stuff, read sales books, you know, figure out how you're going to develop your website and your SEO and SEM and your marketing and all that kind of stuff. You know, you have to work at your strengths to be good. So I'm a, I'm a runner for example. And one of the most amazing things I've experienced in running was hiring a coach. So I, I, it's, it's not that expensive, actually, if you do it online. So I have an online coach. so not a coach that meets up with me every day or every week or whatever, but somebody that's helping building my schedule and I can talk to. And so I was amazed because I, I worked really hard in my 20s. I ran some marathons and ran some half marathons, and I ran track and cross-country in high school. And I thought, you know, oh, this is so cool. Like, I'm doing well. But I was frustrated because I wasn't improving. So I went to run the Chicago Marathon, and I trained so hard and I barely ran faster than I ran in LA and I was really frustrated got a coach and that coach took something that was already a strength for me I was I'm a naturally somewhat good runner I'm not like Olympic level or whatever but I mean I'm decent at it that coach took me from being slightly above average to a Boston qualifier and running a sub three-hour marathon in three years running less than I did training by myself for Chicago So that's amazing. And that just goes to show that if you develop your strengths and don't just like rest on your own laurels, but work on them with somebody that can help you do it, you can knock it out of the park and without even more effort. It's pretty amazing what you can do with honing your strengths and skills in the right way. That's my, that would be my big strategic pitch. And then on the tactical side, and this would be more related to IP services specifically. The number one thing I would tell people is, over-build your systems. So from the beginning, or as early as you possibly can, it is very hard and I know this from experience, to turn the ship. Not impossible, but uh, you know I mentioned earlier, backup and disaster recovery is an area we've changed multiple times. It is so painful and very expensive to shift. And you're not going to pick every single thing perfectly, but pay really close attention when you're choosing your vendor partnership relationships and when you're building your systems and developing your systems, build them to be bigger than you think you need them to be for your current state. And I failed to do this. I chose poor backup solutions. I chose poor PSA solutions, and we suffered because of that and we have great solutions now but it was way more painful to build them later than to have started to build and develop them earlier so as early as you can start to flesh out those systems and overbuild them for your size so you can scale into them
0: that's awesome advice and and especially backed up with all of those examples to wrap up where can people connect with you where can they find you online okay.
1: Sure, yeah. So uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at Chad L2, so C-H-A-D-L-2. I also have that Instagram handle, although I don't use it very often. Um, you can find Structured at Structured. that's the Twitter handle, or Bestructured.com. And that's B-E-S-T-R-U-C-T-U-R-E-D.com, so it's not just the B, B-E-Structured.com. Or you can Google Bestructured Technology Group when we come up.
0: Before we end today's episode, we'd like to thank our sponsors, 5-Step Marketing and Bevoip. Don't forget to take advantage of your free one-hour marketing strategy session with Josh and his team. That link again is 5-StepMarketing.com slash audit. That's the number five, five 5-StepMarketing.com slash audit. And check out Bevoip if you're looking to improve your telecom strategy. You can find BVOIP online at bvoip.com. Chad, it was a pleasure. I want to thank you for joining us and, and spending the time with us today and sharing your wisdom with us, uh, not only how you started, but but how you've become successful and, and sharing some of those struggles and, and successes with us and, and that advice. Yeah, that was great. Have a good one. Thanks again for joining us today on the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast, where we believe that healthy cash flow is critical for your IT business. Automation is paramount, and building trust with your clients by looking professional will help you grow your business. A special thanks again to Chad Lauterbach from b Structured Technology Group. Be Structured Technology Group can be found online at bestructured.com. And to download the full podcast or listen to some of our previous episodes online, check us out at connectbooster.com slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us today on the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast. We'll talk to you soon.